Today, we are going to discuss a few of the very worst hyperinflations and the ramifications of a currency collapse and juxtapose these historical events against the U.S. situation today. Hello and welcome back to the C. Thomas Printer Cooperative, a place to make you think, make you remember, and make you smile. Inflations may be of every conceivable variety of degree, from the mildly annoying to the volcanic. Inflations may be fast or slow, accelerating or decelerating, chronic or transitory. A merely annoying inflation usually causes no one very much real harm. A volcanic inflation, on the other hand, is the kind of catastrophe that confiscates wealth, withholds the means of life, breeds revolutions, and precipitates wars. Every volcanic inflation of history began as a mildly annoying inflation. Quote from Dying of Money by James Parson. Good morning, I'm Ossetia Jones and welcome back to Bygone Relics. I'm here with C. Thomas Printer to discuss hyperinflation. 26% inflation or higher for three or more years or 100% inflation for a year. C. Thomas, take it away. Good morning, austerity, and thank you. Last week's thought experiment was to imagine hyperinflation and what you would do to protect you and your own from the currency calamity. What would you buy? Invest in? Would you move? 100% inflation isn't even really considered hyperinflation by economists, as that designation usually is at least 50% a month, but these nerds can get lost in the forest for the trees because by that time, it is a failure of government, so what does it matter? You'd be forced to buy something with your money now, lest your purchasing power erode next year, next month, or even tomorrow. In fact, you might even say that no country on earth is better prepared for hyperinflation than the American consumer. Siri, press button, buy now, pay later, boom. Forget wheelbarrows of marks to buy bread in Germany. The American woman is ready to buy Jimmy Choo's shoes in the event of an emergency. Amazon packages will flow like the Euphrates to the front door of suburban McMansions. And these clever consumers would simply outfox the inflation. As we shall see, it isn't quite that simple. Today we are going to discuss a few of the very worst hyperinflations and the ramifications of a currency collapse and juxtapose these historical events against the U.S. situation today. In most cases, hyperinflation affects a country that has been weakened and hit by an expensive external shock like a war, sanctions, or an international disaster, or even a great financial crisis or pandemic. Endeavor has a tidy little YouTube video discussing five of the worst hypers ever, based on the research of one of our favorite follows, economists Steve Hankey and Nicholas Cruz. Tax revenues drop, the government prints money to cover the difference, inflation rises, this hurts consumers and operators, and the tax revenue drops further, and the government then has to print more money, etc. This cycle devalues the currency in that as more currency hits the system, 
the currency in the system isn't as special, not as valuable. All of the following fit this mold, and I will try and proceed chronologically with perhaps not the worst statistically, but some that were the most instructive, like the Weimar Germany 1922 to 23 and their monthly inflation record of 29,500%, China in the late 1940s at 5,070%, Hungary in the late 1940s at 4.19 quadrillion percent, Yugoslavia in the 1990s at 313 million percent. And lastly, Zimbabwe in 2008, 79.6 billion percent. The Weimar Germany hyper began because of World War I, when Germany was expected to pay an amount that it simply couldn't in war reparations. The Treaty of Versailles was signed in 1919, and even Keynesian economic founder John Maynard Keynes found the reparations too harsh. The Allied forces expected Germany to basically reimburse their economies, which were also fragile because of war expenditures, for the cost of the war. We will see how deadly the costs of war are on economies like Germany that sell bonds to fund a war, but adding steep reparations on top of that was futile. In 1922, the cost of a loaf of bread was 163 marks. In November 1923, it was 200 billion marks. So much for that Jimmy Choo buy now pay later plan, huh? Wrong. Germans ran to spend their money as fast as they could earn it, exactly as the American housewives do. They had to because prices would change in as little as ordering a meal and getting the check. Genzo Parson writes, barter became prevalent. Farmers who were comfortable enough would not sell their food to the townsmen for their worthless money. Starvation and abject poverty reigned. The German Weimar middle class virtually disappeared as professors, doctors, lawyers, scientists, and artists pawned their earthly goods and turned to fields or factories to try and earn a little food. Mr. Adolf Hitler appeared in November of 1923 at a famous beer hall push during the height of inflation and the world would never be the same. Millions worldwide would die due to the power he began acquiring when a country was at its weakest and most vulnerable. Few people in history can claim to have killed more people than Hitler, but let's introduce you to the circumstances that brought along Chairman Mao in China. Up until 1935, China had private banks, but the Nationalist Party won control of power in 1927 and set about monopolizing the currency creation by controlling the banks. Chiang Kai-shek, the leader of the Nationalists, used force to suppress strikes in exchange for loans from the banks. They eventually went from the protectors of the banks to their biggest customers, to simply taking them over when the bankers that wouldn't make them more loans to his government were simply thrown in jail. The Chinese did this because they used extensive debt financing. Why did they use debt financing? Because taxation was politically unattractive. Sound familiar? Then they guaranteed bonds. By the tax revenues of the country, banks owned 50 to 80% of the bonds. When Japan invaded China in 1932, Chinese bond prices fell by 40% and that caused a bank run because banks were holding bonds that were underwater and banks failed. Sound familiar? These bonds were guaranteed by government revenues, aka risk-free. Sound familiar? There was an external shock that affected Chinese banks as well. 
The U.S. was legislated to buy silver in large quantities, and the silver flowed out of China in a torrent. The Chinese banks sold silver abroad, causing a liquidity problem at home. Jay Habegger writes for FEE, quote, The declining supply of banknotes caused each note left in circulation to appreciate in value, leading many businesses to experience accounting losses. The losses caused many businesses to lay off workers and cut production. Many businesses carried some debt. The loans were made in non-deflated currency, but now had to be paid back in deflated money, end quote. That's right. Deflation preceded the hyper in China. Habegger continues with the most sound familiar of them all. Quote, if the bond market collapsed, the nationalists would be unable to continue the policy of debt financing, end quote. At the time, Chinese banks were backed by silver, so the nationalists instituted the death penalty for all those trying to smuggle silver out of the country. And when they had nationalized, the banks issued a fiat currency backed by the full faith and credit of the nationalist party or some other clever line like our own fiat currency. This stopped the deflation, and now because they controlled the banks, they could monetize the debt. The equivalent of our Fed having $8 trillion on its balance sheet? Sound familiar? Let the money printing begin, and H.H. Kung, Kaohsiung's finance minister, quote, the government is determined to avoid inflation, end quote. <laughs> oh, the inflation began almost immediately and ultimately reached over 5,000% and caused the end of the Nationalist Party, leading to Chairman Mao and the Communist Party to take over with promises made to a populace that had seen its savings and money disappear. Over the next 25 years of Maoism, between 40 and 80 million people died from a combination of mass starvation, persecution, prison labor, and mass executions. The government control of the money supply during Kalshek's reign and resulting mismanagement of the currency ushered in the greatest killer of the 20th century after the mosquito. In part two of our hyperinflation series next week, we are going to talk about the hypers in Hungary, the world record, Yugoslavia and Zimbabwe, and we will draw a conclusion for today. Sincerely yours, C. Thomas Printer. On this date in history, 2,346 years ago to be exact, Alexander the Great of Macedon died. He was undefeated and never lost. This week's thought experiment, if you were to call your congressman and worried about hyperinflation, what topic would you start your conversation with? Also born on this date, a stuntman turned Hollywood Walk of Fame actor turned world champion rodeo cowboy Ben Johnson. He was also a self-managed investor who turned his investments into $100 million by the time of his death in 1996.